yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. All of our lives have been shaped in some way by the leaders around us. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Some of which we've never met and seem a world away. Others are close to home and know us well. It's easy to look outside of ourselves and identify great leaders. But how did they get there? And what can we learn from their journey to be the leaders God has called us to be? Let's look at the makings of a great leader. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right today. Glad you're here. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or one of the venues here at Long Point or on the internet. I know I was at the Asheville campus last week. Uh, we had a little storm come through. I don't know if you noticed. And uh, so we got out of town, went to Asheville. And uh, what a great campus, Teddy Winter and the team there, Aaron leading in worship. It was awesome. And uh, it's good to be back here at Long Point uh, this weekend. Now, let me ask a question as we begin. How many of you would self-identify as a leader in some area? There's an area in your life where you are leading. You would say, that's me. Okay. All right. Good. You're going to love this message. Let me, uh, let me ask you another question. Um, how many of you would agree that when there is great leadership, people flourish. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's whether it's in a family, you know, if you've got a family and there's great leadership, they know where they're going, good direction, good leader, people flourish. In fact, I, uh, I had a guy a few years ago that made me feel a little guilty about this. He said, he said I can judge uh, the success of your leadership by looking at the face of your wife. If she is flourishing, you're a good leader. I don't care how many people come to your church or what else you're doing. It's the look on your wife. And I thought, oh, my goodness, my goodness. <laughs> look good, babe. Look good. Go get you some bling. You know, I just, just do it. Whatever you need to do, let's do that. Or, um, you know, if it's a company, um, we've probably all been in seasons in where you work where you'll have a department that has poor morale. Just everybody just feels terrible, you know, just down all the time. All the time. You get a good leader. You just get a good leader that comes in, can change things overnight, and people can flourish because where there's good leadership, the people flourish. It can be the same way in a church. Uh, it can be the same way in a country. In fact, this is a great book if you're a leader. Uh, Simon Sinek, uh, he has a great uh, TED Talk, by the way, one of the better, better ones. But Leaders Eat Last, he says this, as social animals, we need leaders that make us feel like we're moving forward that our efforts have value to a greater cause and that someone is watching out for us. He says, that only happens with people who make us feel like we're a part of something. That's great leadership and we flourish when there's great leadership. Here's the problem, there's a flip side to that and that's this, when we don't feel that there's someone looking out for us and offering a sense of belonging, we become paranoid and self-interested. And I honestly, I see a lot of that in our country today. He goes on to say this, he says, we mistrust government, we don't trust leadership, we think corporations are bad, 
and management is bad. And uh, w when it's that way, uh, it's, it's not good. Now, cynic just uh, simply echoes what the Bible has to say. In Proverbs 11, in verse 14, it says this, without wise leadership, a nation fails. I mean, this was written, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. It's just a principle. Without wise leadership, a nation fails. There is safety in having many advisors. You need a, a leader who will listen to advisors around them. I remember when I was uh, first in leadership as a young pastor, I discovered a revelation on this scripture, which to me simply meant this. I don't have to know everything. How many you know there's nobody that knows everything? How many you know that people, there are people that act like they do, okay? And you don't have to know everything. As a leader, you just have to know people that know more than you in a whole bunch of different situations. And we'll have people that come to this church regularly, uh, people from outside leaders, whatever they come in, they say, we're impressed with the leadership here and I don't want, want to be demeaning to you, they'll be talking to me. But a lot of them are a lot more accomplished and actually smarter than you are. And uh, <laughs> I said, that's the sign of a great leader. See, a good leader, like, like me, uh, I'm secure in my position because I got here first, okay? And that's, <laughs> so what you want to do is you want to hire a bunch of people better and smarter than you makes you look good. Would you agree with that? And uh, so we've been very successful at hiring smarter and better people here than me. Okay, so Proverbs 29.2 says, When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. So we're doing a series, and we're calling it POTUS. It, anybody, anybody, uh, there's an election coming up. Did you guys know that? <laughs> you aware of that? But what does POTUS stand for? President of the United States. That's good. And so I thought on the first week of POTUS, a leadership series, I would just come out and endorse somebody. I don't care what the IRS says. I don't care what people think. I'm just going to do it right now. Um, and I'm confused just like everybody else is. So I was in Chicago a few weeks ago uh, for a Cubs game. And um, actually, it was another meeting that there just happened to be a Cubs game that was there. <laughs> And I found this T-shirt. I knew I was going to do this series, and I thought, I am going to endorse with this T-shirt. Um, if you know the Cubs, anybody watch the Cubs game last night at all? Anyway, okay, good. Two best players on the Cubs, arguably, are Chris Bryant. You have a question? Okay, you, you watch the game. <laughs> uh, Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo. And so I found this this shirt that outside the stadium, and it says. Bryant Rizzo, 16, let's make Chicago great again. And so that's my endorsement. That's who I'm for. And uh, that was weak. You were hoping some of you were going to throw stuff, whatever. One of the candidates actually asked me to publicly do that. I met with uh, this candidate in New York City a few weeks ago. It lives in a big tower in New York. And... Uh, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. But anyway, that's not an anti-endorsement or endorsement. I just felt like it wouldn't be the best use of my gifts. So and if you want to talk about that, we can talk about that another time. But anyway, so POTUS, President of the United States. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to make this, not pot us, that's Colorado, but... Um, <laughs> President of the us. We're going to start with us. We'll talk about leadership, 
But the most important leadership is what? Is you and me, president of the us. And this was going to be a five-week series because POTUS is five letters, and we're going to take a different letter every week. And then Matthew came. So now it's a four-week series with five letters, and uh, i got to cram two of them into one message. And the, the message is going to be P, is going to be platforms of leadership. And uh, the O is the of, of leadership. <laughs> Actually not, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you one in a little bit, and I won't do a whole message on that. But, uh, and then the other thing I want to say before I get into it is that you don't want to miss week three. Week three. Say, t- tell your neighbor, you do not want to miss week three, because we're going to make an important announcement, one of the most important announcements that we've made as a church in week three, and don't come to me in the foyer and say, I'm kind of an insider, I want to know what it is, because I'm not going to tell you, okay? That happened many times already. And so here we go. Let's, let's jump in. I'm going to give you a lot of content, okay? And hopefully the Holy Spirit will add the inspiration to it. Here we go. So here's, here's what I think we know about leadership, leadership realities. The first one is this. We all have a responsibility to lead. We all have a responsibility to lead. A few minutes ago, I asked you if you're a leader, raise your hand. There was about 20 to 30% of you that did. I'm, for the next few minutes, I'm gonna try to convince the rest of you that you're leaders too, okay? Because here, here's the deal, here's the deal. Uh, let, let me give you a quote. Whoa, go back, go back, go back, go back. There we go. Um, That was my fault. I hit it twice. The leader is one who sees more than others see, who sees farther than others see, and who sees before others see. If you're a leader, that kind of, yeah, I like that. If you don't feel like you have a gift of leadership, which is okay, you're looking at that and you're going, well, I, I don't see more, I don't see farther, and I don't see before, and I feel real good with where I am. I'm okay. I'm gonna take a pass, I'm not a leader. That's my wife. We've had this discussion. We had this discussion going out of church last night. We've had it a lot of times. She says, you're a leader. You have a big L leadership gift. I do not have a leadership gift. And I'm really good with not having a leadership gift. Don't put me in a leadership position, okay? And some of you feel like that, which is okay. And you you say, well, I'm not a leader. I'm going to take a pass because I saw the movie A Bug's Life. Take a look at this. Take a look at this. She's learning to take over from me, Hopper. Oh, I see. Under new management. So it's your fault. No, it wasn't me. It wasn't. Uh, uh, uh. First rule of leadership. Everything is your fault. Okay, first rule of leadership. Everything's your fault. You say, I don't want everything to be my fault. I don't want to be a leader. I'm not a leader. All right, good. Well, here's the, here's the challenge. I, wanna, I just want to challenge that for just a minute. Um... I, I say we all have a responsibility to lead. Let me explain it like this. Um, leadership is about chairs. And you're going to see that. You're going to walk away today and see, every time you see a chair, you're going to think about leadership. Because leadership is about chairs. And it begins with the single chair leadership, which I would say is the most important aspect of leadership. In fact, when you see a big leader nationally or in a church or a business or a politician that falls or fails, it's because of this chair right here. It's the single chair leadership. Bill Hybels, who is a pastor at Will Creek Church and does a big leadership summit every year, says this, the toughest management challenge is always yourself. This is the you chair. Leadership. Biggest leadership challenge is you. 
Forget the President of the United States. Think about you incorporated. Think about it like this. Have you ever had a time in your life where maybe you made some mistakes or just you're fed up or whatever and you want a fresh start? You ever had that? And maybe you even moved. Some of you moved here to get a fresh start. Can I tell you the problem with that? When you move, you go with you. <laughs> and you are the problem. You are the challenge. And so, and so this, is the, this is the most important leadership chair and everybody here sits in this chair. It's called self-leadership. Now I would argue that there are two aspects to self-leadership, okay? The first one is self-awareness, self-awareness. That just simply means that as a leader, you're aware of your values, you're aware of your strengths, you're aware of your weaknesses, you're aware of your emotions. Jesus would say it like this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? In other words, you want to lead somebody else? You want to correct somebody else? He's not saying don't ever do that, by the way. It's, that's not what this is saying. He's just saying if you're going to do that, you need a degree of self-awareness. And his self-awareness is this. And you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. I mean, he exaggerates. The plank is like a telephone pole. Okay, and he says, there's a telephone pole in your eye and there's a speck in somebody else. You need to pay, and he's just making, making sure that you understand that there's an issue here. And he says this, he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? How can you exercise leadership when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You're a hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's talking about self-awareness. So what does self-awareness mean? Let me give you some examples, negative ones, of poor self-awareness. Uh, poor self-awareness is the guy or lady at the dinner table that keeps talking and talking about things that everybody else has already checked out on. You know anybody like that? Don't point. You know anybody like that? I mean, they're just on and on and on and on about something, and everybody's going, uh, yeah, we know. Let's move on. That's a poor self-awareness. Here's the problem. I've been that person. Have you? Uh, there have been times we've gone away from a social situation, and Debbie's so sweet, she will never point it out. I'll go, I said more than I should. You know, people were done with the conversation, and I was still harping on it. And she'll go, I think you're right. <laughs> I need that, though. I need some feedback. Poor self-awareness. Uh, or maybe you're surprised when others are sensitive to your comments or jokes and you think they're overreacting. That's poor self-awareness. Or you weigh in early with your opinions and then you defend them with great rigor. That's poor self-awareness. Or you find that others are to blame for most of the issues on your team. Might be a sports team, a work team, there are issues and it's everybody else's fault. Poor self-awareness. Or you find it annoying when others expect you to know how they feel, just get over it. Poor self-awareness. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, got holes in that t-shirt, okay? You got a plank problem, Jesus would say. You've got a plank problem. So that's first thing. So how do you get through that? Self-aware people crave, listen to me, crave feedback. How many of you like feedback? Do you like feedback? Yeah, a few of you. We should all crave feedback 
feedback because we're all leaders. We all sit in the self-leadership chair. And if we're gonna do a good job here, we, people are depending on us doing a good job here. You need feedback. I'll tell you a story. I've, I've told it before, so I won't, you know, just give you the whole thing. But a couple, three years ago, I did the chaplain. I was a chaplain at the Broncos-Colts. Go Broncos. Colts game. The Broncos were terrible this week. But anyway, at the Colts-Bronco game in Indianapolis, a friend of mine was a the coach there. And uh, so we were talking about the culture of the Colts, and he said one of the, the things that's a part of the culture is you've got to crave feedback. Because the only way you grow is if you get accurate feedback. And he said that one of their best players, Reggie Wayne, who was uh, uh, all pro every year, just, I mean, just all pro forever, he'll, he'll be in the Hall of Fame uh, when his time comes. Um, he comes into training camp every year and says, coach, don't coach me like an all pro, coach me like a rookie. Coach me like a rookie. Here, here's what was interesting is Lisa Surratt, my daughter-in-law, gave a talk for Chosen, for the Chosen Conference this year. It's the second time she's done that. And after she was done, we were back in the bullpen and we call the green room the bullpen, and she came up to me and she said, okay, Dad, coach me like a rookie. It's a culture that, that she has, craving feedback, because you will never grow unless you have feedback. I believe everybody needs to be, especially leaders, and we're all leaders, but we need to be at a table, at least one table, with a group of people who love us but are not impressed with us and who will give us accurate Feedback. Every time you have somebody that's not self-aware, you can know they don't have accurate feedback in their life. Because if they did, they'd be more self-aware. And so that's the first part of self-leadership. The second part of self-leadership is self-management. Self-management. That's managing my passions, managing my gifts, managing my strengths, managing my weaknesses. And that's kind of what that is all about. Um, and the Bible would say it's cultivating the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Now, when we read a scripture like this, a lot of times we feel bad about ourselves because we're not really good in some of these areas. How many of you know nobody's perfect? Okay, they crucified the only perfect guy. That's not what you want to aspire to. But you do want to aspire to moving in the right direction. Don't ever let nobody's perfect be an excuse not to do better and not to allow the Holy Spirit to grow these areas in your life. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those, there's no law. Then it says, when you sit in the self-leadership chair, you need to be growing in self-awareness through feedback. You also need to be growing in self-management through the fruits of the Holy Spirit growing in your life. Examples, if you find yourself angry a lot, Maybe even this week, you're just angry a lot. Or you've got situations where your anger is much bigger than the trigger that hit it. There's a self-management problem going on, and uh, you need to allow peace and patience to grow in your life. And it negatively is impacting your ability to lead others. If you find yourself in the self-management chair, and you're late all the time, you're that girl, you're that guy, that girl, Oh, they're going to be late, you know. They're just late. They're always late. That's a problem. Because it's going to impact your ability to lead others at some point down the line. And rather than just accept it, what you need to do is you need to go, you know what, I need work on faithfulness. Or maybe it's self-control. I need to grow 
in that area. Or maybe it has to do with you're not fulfilling what was assigned to you. They've always got to come around and, and follow up on what you do because you don't always get it, get it right. Well, that's self-management issue. If you find yourself resentful or carrying a grudge and you're having a difficult time forgiving, that's a self-leadership issue and you need to ask God to develop love and joy. Uh, in, in your life. We all have a responsibility to lead well the person in the single chair. Let me ask my original question again. How many of you are in some position of leadership somewhere in your life? It's all of us. If you're sitting in a chair, you have a responsibility, at least for self-leadership. Let me give you the, the uh, double chair leadership. Now, most of us will move on from self-leadership the single chair to a double chair leadership. What's this called? Real quick, what's an example of double chair leadership? Parenting. parenting. It's parenting. If you have a child, then you are a leader. Now, you might not be leading well, and we can usually see that, okay? <laughs> but you have a responsibility to lead well yourself and lead well here. Also, it's mentoring. Somebody comes to you and says, I see you do really well in this area, would you help lead me? So those are, those are double chair. Then you get into multiple chair leadership. And what happens is you're leading here and this person goes, wow, that's really cool. Do you mind if I invite a friend? And so a friend comes and, uh, and now you've got multiple chair leadership. I, how this worked it out in, in my own life was I was raised in a really good Christian home, very good Christian home. My parents did a, a good job, I think, with, uh, with all four of, of the kids. And, but um, God doesn't have any grandkids. How many of you know that? It's a, it's a, it's a child relationship with God. So it means everybody has to come to their own faith. Took me a little while to get there. And when I was 19 years old, um, I really made strong commitment of my life to God. Doesn't mean I was perfect from then on, I wasn't. But I, I made a commitment. I'd never read the Bible. I mean, I, the only Bible I got was in... Sunday school every week, but my parents had given me a Bible, and I finally decided I'm going to start reading the Bible and work on self-leadership issues. And so I'm reading the Bible, and I'm living in a house at that time, four-bedroom house, with seven guys, some of their girlfriends, motorcycles. I, I explained before that our motorcycles, I'd park inside the house. We would grill out inside on grills in the house. It was just a terrible situation, but we had a blast. <laughs> and in the midst of all that, I decided... One of my buddies comes to me and says, why don't you tell me what you learned? And so I started that. He invited one of the other guys, and we started a Bible study. Decided to study the book of John. I had never read the book of John, but I figured out as a leader, if you stay a page ahead of everybody else, you're fine. And so, <laughs> seriously, that's what I did. And so that grew, and it grew, until we had, you know, 10, 15 guys and their girlfriends and stuff studying with motorcycles around. Um, this, this whole thing, and so I had multiple chair leadership, and it, it was about that time that I discovered the second principle, is that the first principle is that we're all responsible to lead. Second principle is that some of us have been given a gift to lead. Some of us have been given, okay, there are people that just do it naturally. Can they get better? Yes. Every gift is an embryo stage. But there are some people that struggle to lead and some people, just they just lead. Um, Romans 12 and verse 6 says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. That's why some people do certain things well. That's why you don't copy or compare to other people. 
okay? You don't aspire to somebody else's gift because you have gifts. And, um, and, you, and, and you can do certain things well. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy, which is to speak his word, current word for today to people, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. My wife has that gift. So I'm thinking, I don't have to do that. Because <laughs> I'm not just not good at it. No, we all have a responsibility in every one of these areas. Just like self-leadership, we all have a responsibility to serve. But there are some people... They just do it well. It just comes naturally. If it's teach, teach well. If your gift is to encourage, encourage well. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you a leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. Be serious about your gift. If you have a gift for showing kindness or mercy, do it gladly, okay? So some people have been given the gift to lead. Here's a question. How do you know if you're a gifted leader? How do you know? I'm going to give you a simple answer. Does anybody have the gift to follow you? Somebody said, if you think you're a leader and nobody's following, you're just out taking a walk. <laughs> and it's important to be self-aware about this stuff. It really is. You need to get other people's insight. Well, I'm a leader, really. Here's what I hear sometimes is, I'm a teacher. I want to teach God's word. And my question is, does anybody have the gift of listening to you? Okay, because some people are boring as a box of rocks and they think that they have a gift to teach and they don't. They just want to talk. And nobody really is that interested in listening. This isn't rocket science. You can figure this stuff out, okay? And so leadership, does anybody want to follow you? Now, here's what I discovered. Is I discovered back then this concept of leadership platforms. Leadership platforms, and here's how it works. So you get a group, and usually it's a circle in a home or whatever, and you're leading, and then there's more people that can fit in the circle, and so the leader has to have kind of a semi-circle like this. You've seen that, and you get more people in your semi-circle, and then there's not enough room for the, everybody to be in one semi-circle. I'm in a small group like that right now. And so there's another semicircle, and these people are less involved. And then you get too many semicircles, and everybody can't see you. And so you need a platform. I was, uh, I was speaking a few weeks ago in Chicago, this great, huge church in the inner city of Chicago, and uh, Hispanic church, and um, mostly Puerto Ricans in a Puerto Rican neighborhood. And I spoke six times on the weekend, nearly killed me. I'm just not as young as I used to be. And so after one of the services, the pastor says to me, hey, if you want to come down off the platform, you can kind of walk around in the front if you want to, if you feel like that would connect you, you know, closer or better. And I said, dude, you can do that. I can't. He said, why not? I said, have you seen how tall I am? Because <laughs> this room has, you know, I don't know how many chairs it had, but it had a lot of chairs in it. And the people, and it didn't have a sloped floor. And the people at the back will not be able to see me. Here's the principle. The the height of the platform is in direct correlation to the number of chairs. My first platform was in Freeport, Illinois, small farming community, and we had 80 chairs in the building. We had a 12-inch platform, okay, so that, that you could see. Uh, here, we have, a, we have 1,400 seats, about 1,400 seats, and we have a 29-and-a-half-inch platform, so everybody can see okay, all right? We're building a new building someday, if we ever get the permits, we're going to build it. Uh, and um, we're close. And 
It's gonna have 2,500 seats. It will have a 36-inch platform because that's what it needs. Plus, the, sound, uh, the music people said we need killer subwoofers and <laughs> they have to go under here and so it's gotta be 36 inches in order for that to happen. So there's a little variation in leadership. Um, I, was, I, was preaching at, I was preaching at a church not long ago and uh, they had about, I don't know, just a couple 300 seats and they had a four foot high platform. I thought, there's an ego problem here. You know, I mean, I've, I've, because it wasn't necessary. I've preached in stadiums where you had a six foot platform. The size of the platform is directly determined by the number of seats. Does that make sense? And if you have a gift to lead, then ultimately you'll have to understand leadership platforms. Let me give you just three things to remember for those of you who have a gift. Number one, God is the only one who gave you the gift to build your platform. God is the one. Because when you become a leader and you practice it and you get better and people begin to applaud, wow, what a great leadership position. What a great leadership decision. You have an ability to teach and speak. That's incredible. The Bible says this. It says that as fire is for gold and a crucible is for silver, so is the applause for men. In other words, it refines you and applause, you can get off into pride. And you can start claiming the platform for yourself. Yeah, I know, I'm pretty sharp. I built that platform. God's the one that gave you the gift to build. Always remember that. Second thing is often the best climate for building a platform is obscurity. You remember I said it was gonna be POTUS, P-O, O is obscurity. We were gonna do a whole week on obscurity. We're not going to now. I'll just give you a couple of thoughts on it, okay? Obscurity. Often, Often the best climate for building a platform is obscurity. Jesus spent how many years in obscurity before breaking into the scene? 30. What was he doing during, during those 30 years? He's being formed. It says that he grew in stature. He grew in wisdom. I thought he had all that. I don't understand how all that works. I don't. Anybody that tells you they understand A, the Trinity, or B, all God, all man, they're just kidding you. We see through a glass darkly. I don't understand all that. But I do know that, it, that he, the Bible says he was tempted in all ways like we are so that we have a high priest who understands us. I don't think that temptation, the only temptation was 40 days in a desert. I think in that first 30 years, he was tempted by all kinds of things. And he grew in obedience and he grew in wisdom. In where? Obscurity because that's the best place to grow. I'll tell you why in just a minute. Apostle Paul, the same thing. The Apostle Paul gets saved and the first thing he does is, is, is three, three years in the desert. What's he doing? He's learning to renew his mind. He had a whole bunch of garbage in his thinking that if he would have gone ahead and started leading at that point, it would have been corrupt leadership. He had to learn. That's why he talks so much about renewing his mind. You've got Joseph who spent, or Daniel spent, uh, Joseph it was, spent several years in a prison before he became a recognized leader. Daniel also spent time in a prison. Nelson Mandela, think about him, great leader who was in obscurity for years and years. I, you even think about Martin Luther King. Some of his best work was from a prison in Birmingham. He wrote letters from a prison in Birmingham. Obscurity, obscurity is the best place to grow your leadership. Um, I spent eight and a half years in a farming community before we started Seacoast. What did we do? We developed perseverance, we developed faithfulness, we developed speaking skills, we developed people skills. And you may feel like God and people have forgotten you. 
You may feel like, hey, I get this. This is, the, the, you know, I, I understand self-leadership, but I feel like I've got a gift to lead, but it feels like it's not being used in the way that I feel like it can be at work or in the church or wherever it is. And I feel like I'm in obscurity and maybe that God has forgotten me. Realize, realize that the same spotlight that allows people to see you better can put a focus on your flaws as well as your fluencies. And if it happens too early, it can be destructive. So allow God to shape you in obscurity so you will lead well in your visibility. Does that make sense? And that's all I want to say about that. Okay, and then there's a third thing, and that's this, about platforms. If you fall off of your platform, somebody's going to get hurt. Okay? If you fall off your platform, somebody's going to get hurt. Which leads me to really the third big idea. First idea was we all have a responsibility to lead. Second idea is some people have gifts of leadership. And here's the third one. We are all responsible to God, whether it's from this chair right here, the single chair, or whether it's from the highest platform as you can imagine. We all have a responsibility to God as to how we steward the leadership that he has given us. We've all seen the results of people who didn't steward their leadership well, of leaders who have fallen, who have failed, who've used their gift to abuse other people, who've used their gift to cover up a potential fatal flaw that they never worked out in the single chair because their charisma got them through it. And their charisma, while they thought it was great, ended up being the Achilles heel. We've seen that. We've seen people who had a gift and used their gift to cruise through life. You know people like that. That things come easy for them. They don't develop it, they don't work it, and they just cruise through, and it's always what they could have been, what they should have been. So we've seen that. We all have a responsibility to steward our leadership gifts. What do responsible leaders do? Let me give you some things and I'll quit. Number one, they stand for something. Whether that's the leader in this chair or whether it's a leader on a platform, they stand for something. I love this. You're gonna love this picture. See the water? Malcolm Muggeridge, never forget that only dead fish swim with the stream. Huh? Only dead fish swim with the stream. Leaders stand for something. Somebody said if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And we need to be leaders who will stand. Let me give you some things to stand for. First of all, we need to stand for personal integrity. Personal integrity. We need to spend time working on the plank. We need to spend time with people around us who will give us input. We need to stand for personal integrity. Listen, let's rise above the current political climate. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But you know what? We can do better than this. One candidate, you can't believe what they say. The other candidate, you can't believe they actually said that. I mean, this is just... <laughs> We've got to demand more. I think it's our problem. I think it's our fault. I think we can't demand more in Washington and Wall Street until we demand more on our street. 
dwell. We, we become examples. I am looking forward to that. There are some great political leaders in this church already, and I can't wait until the day some of your children become political leaders in this country and lead it in a way of integrity because you led yourself well, you took your platform seriously, and you led your family like families can be led. If you think that's a good idea, why don't you clap your hands? Oh, that'll preach. We need to stand for credibility and moral excellence. We need to stand for other people. And we need to stand for the kingdom of God. I got so much I could say on that. Let's move on. Uh, uh, leaders have a responsibility to have a positive message. To have a positive message. Uh, POTUS number 34, Dwight Eisenhower said, you do not lead by hitting people over the head. That's assault, not leadership. I like that. <laughs> Here's what else he said. This might be one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. The art of leadership is getting someone else to do what you want done because they want to do it. Did you get that? The art of leadership is getting somebody else to do what you want done because they want to do it. The Bible talks a lot about positive messages. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk. How much unwholesome talks to come out of our mouths? whether the microphone's on or off. In an email, hey, listen, we ought to learn a lot of things. What you think is secret, someday could be blown out to everybody. That's why you need to have integrity all the time. All the time. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's positive. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, right, Noble, uh, pure, lovely, admirable, anything's excellent or praiseworthy. Hey, spend your time thinking about that stuff, okay? Spend your time thinking about that stuff. Leaders stand for something. They have a positive message. They give people hope for the future, hope for the future. That's what a real leader does. Um, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, our chief want is someone who will inspire us to be what we know we could be. We want to be inspired. Um, William Arthur Ward says, the mediocre teacher or leader tells. The good teacher explains, the superior teacher demonstrates, the great teacher inspires. Why is that true? Because you were created to be inspired. You were created by an inspirational God. Why do you think he made beauty? I mean, God could make everything you know, the, the outdoors, that's why we have windows in this auditorium is because he does a better job at decoration than we do. Why? Because he's a God of creative beauty. He's a God that's positive. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to squash you, to make you feel guilty all the time. No, that's a revised substandard perversion. He says, there are plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope, 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 hope. Hope and a future, all right? Do you do that with your leadership? Do people come away from you more hopeful? If you're a believer, I've said this many times over the years, you ought to be a hope peddler. You ought to be a hope dealer. Christians ought to be the most positive people in the world because we know who we serve. Listen, on November the 9th, it doesn't matter who wins, God will still be on the throne. Would you agree with that? So we don't, have to get, we don't have to get all down. We don't have to get all discouraged, you know, about whoever you're for. God is in, 
God is in, in, in ultimate control. And then leaders, the last thing they do is they give people a place to belong. A place to belong. I wanna close with a picture. I wanna close with a picture. So, one more sports analogy. Is that all right? Doesn't matter if it is, it's coming anyway. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Ryder Cup. Anybody know what the Ryder Cup is? Okay. The Ryder Cup happened a couple of weeks ago. Kind of got lost in the hurricane and all of that. Ryder Cup is a golf event, and it's uh, a team of golfers from the United States playing a team of golfers from Europe. It's good versus evil, okay? And so, <laughs> and so, my European friends, I'm gonna be there in a couple of weeks, I'm gonna pay for that. So, so uh, this is a picture after the Ryder Cup. This is Bubba Watson, and this is Davis Love. Davis Love was the captain of the team. Bubba Watson is crying. Let me tell you about it a little bit. In the Ryder Cup, you've got 12 men on each team representing the United States or Europe. Eight of those positions are earned. It's, there's a point system, and the best eight players automatically make the team. The last four positions are captain's choices. He can choose anybody he wants to. Usually chooses from among the next players that are there because you want your best players there. Bubba Watson was number nine. He didn't make the cut, but he probably would be chosen. Well, Davis Love chose number 10, number 11, number 12, and number 20. Why number 20? Because he was hot. They ended up being a good choice. He'd won some tournaments, he was playing well. He did not choose Bubba Watson. That's not why Bubba's crying. It devastated Bubba, as it would anybody. You wanna represent your country, and, uh, but he wasn't chosen. But when he called him, he did something unprecedented as a captain. He said, I'm not gonna put you on the team. And there were reasons, maybe it was personality, maybe it was gifting, a lot of, I've read a lot about it. But he said, you're not gonna make the you're not gonna represent the country out on the course. He said, I want you to be an assistant captain with me. I, 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 want you to, I want you to drive one of the golf carts. You're not gonna be the star. You're gonna be the one that encourages the players, but I need your attitude there. I want you there. And he's crying in this picture. And here's what he's saying in his ears. People picked it up. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for allowing me to be on the team. So I'm flying in an airplane and I'm reading this uh, on ESPN my quiet time. And, um, and I said, I, I've, got to, I've, got to, I've got to show you this. Here's what the article said. It was clear by week's end that Bubba Watson is someone who longs to be loved and to be a part of things, something. I thought, Greg Surratt is someone who longs to be loved and to be a part of something. You are somebody that longs to be loved and to be a part of something. And in the midst of all the pressure that was on Davis Love's shoulders, captain, he still managed to make Watson feel like a big part of the United States golf. And here was the last line. That's what leadership looks like. I thought it is. That's what leadership looks like. Makes people feel like they belong. And then I thought, you know who's the greatest leader that's ever walked the planet? It's Jesus. Look what he said. Come to me all you. Now, if he was Southern, he'd have said y'all, and it would have been read better. <laughs> but he says, come to me, all of you. Not just the great leaders, 
Not just the cool kids who aren't really that cool, but they don't know it. Not just, not just those that got it going on. Said, you need to come to me because you don't have it going on. You just don't know, and it's coming. It's coming because that's life. He says, come to me all. Come to me, those of you who are struggling in the single chair leadership. You're struggling to manage yourself and to become more self-aware. Just struggling with those issues. Come to me, all of you who are parents, and you feel like, boy, if they gave me a report card right now, my leadership would be zero. Come to me, small group leaders, who it feels like you don't have time. And people are fickle, and they come and they go. Come to me, those of you who are on a platform that it feels like it's bigger than what you know what to do with. You feel way out of your comfort zone. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's real leadership. And that's the kind of leadership that he offers you and I today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this incredible group of people who are here to worship you, to learn from you. Now we want to come into your rest. God, I thank you for how you've created us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. All of us have responsibilities of leadership. Some of us are gifted to lead. But we all come with various kind of feelings, issues, places today. God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.